Yeah, it's Irony. all very, very good. Thank you, divine spirits that guide me. <laughs> yeah, I, the only thing I can really like conceptualize as God is just like this divine sense of irony the universe has. Like, I, it's just like it, it's the only thing I could say as a higher power is just like the deep sense of irony life sometimes has, where you can't really do anything but have like a sad kind of chuckle. It's like God damn it. Yeah. Of course it would be that way. Yeah, of course, right when you thought that you understood everything, I'd flip it on you. Yeah. cherub spirits that spend their mornings with me um so so glorious to see you we've made it through the psychotic mess that was yesterday and the introduction of the lump we're here it's batman in quarantine episode 26 like a ripe almost adult of a podcast able to drink (laughs) able to function uh in society (laughs) but as always I am Jeff. I am incredibly excited to be here talking to all of you with my favorite, favorite people in the world. And we are on the final issue of the first omnibus of Grant Morrison's Batman run. It is Batman 683, Last Rites Part 2, What the Butler Saw, uh, originally came out in January 2009. If our production dates in these books are to be trusted, both issues of Last Rites came out in January of 2009. So I guess well done, DC. I just want to apologize for yesterday's episode where somehow Jeff, Justin, and Roman weren't actually here. It was just Lump <laughs> Jeff, Lump Justin, and Lump Roman did a podcast. We what tried the, to rein it in, but What the they listeners got... don't know is that halfway through yesterday's podcast, Jeff like went pale and clammy and got really nauseous and almost had to run out of the room to vomit um, for reasons that didn't make sense. Fortunately, we can cut that audio out, but... <laughs> I think when all of this whole Batman in quarantine thing is said and done, it will be really fascinating to look back on this uh, marathon that we all um, decided and agreed to do without really being fully aware of how much work it was going to (laughs) be. It's just funny that we had the, the episode about like the lump in distorted reality. And yesterday we were all lumped up. We were all just like kind of in a lump funk. So this is uh, the second part of Last Rites. Last, yesterday, we were trying to talk about it from a singular issue standpoint, but it, I think, will benefit from a more top-down look at not trying to give away too many spoilers of really what was happening in this two-issue arc. We also talked about how it, it is, um, I, I think, two fantastic issues that embody Batman perfectly and also sort of reframe the thesis that uh, Grant Morrison is trying to do with this series, but came out in a weird time in a weird way that I think makes it difficult to really, uh, it's not, I think it's maybe the least new reader friendly thing, like we were saying. So uh, interesting, interesting spot we're in boys, interesting boat. It is. I mean, this whole run, it's kind of shtick as being weird, but these issues particularly are like, 
as weird as it gets and its publication time was a weird spot again that i divine sense of irony it could only be this weird um in the weirdest batman run of all time <laughs> uh and in yesterday's issue it is very centered around doing a flashback readdressing the origin and every and continuity of batman up until sort of the point that it leaves which is close to final crisis and it introduces this multi-pronged narrative of what would happen if bruce had never been batman and in this one, uh, the issue starts with a bit more current day Batman, but it is rooted in Bruce being told by Alfred, who at this point we know is the lump, pretending to be Alfred. Lumpinator. Uh, yeah, the lumpinator. Trying to sort of lull Batman into a, a, a pacified state where he is able to give up all of his memories to the lump so that they can ultimately take his memories of tragedy and experience and embody them, uh, put, put them into the bodies of clones so they can create an army of Batman. And throughout the course of this, Batman solves that mystery, understands that the or Alfred is the lump and ultimately weaponizes his memories to get out of this situation, kind of recruits the lump to be on his side and escapes the, the divine situation. Does that sound fair to everybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's probably a billion times better than we could have summed that up because this shit is weird. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. realized that, um, Jeff, you saying that, I was like, oh, my gosh. So Batman escaped the lump's clutches. And the only other person we've see, superhero we've seen do that is Mr. Miracle. And that just threw me back to, like, one of my favorite comics when I was a kid, Brave and Bold, and the first one I ever read was Batman and Mr. Miracle. I remember they were kind, you yeah, and they were kind of cover. they were fighting this guy, but they were also kind of having this good natured competition to see who was the better escape artist. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, and it kind of and it kind of ended with you're both you're the two greatest escape artists on the in the world. <laughs> like the Flash and Superman race. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Give me give me more instances of teams or superheroes have like a duality, a similar relationship. Yeah. I love that. That's like that recent detective issue where they kind of go back and say the original Mr. Miracle taught Batman how to escape so good. Oh yeah. That, I yeah. think that was uh, maybe James Robinson around the time it was getting to one thousand. Yeah, I'd like to see just like that be firmer in continuity that Batman has like a escape buddy fest uh, with Mr. Miracle in his past. I think that would be cool. Yeah, they need to bring that back because I don't, yeah, because I don't remember them talking back. about that since the 70s. So before we like pick apart the like the bits of um, the, the memories and how they're weaponized against Bruce here, I think just sort of trying to get plot out what these two issues like what happened so th most of it is batman stuck in lumpville <laughs> but at the end of this we do get this sequence where bruce has sort of recruited the lump he says like you're gonna die but if you if i die we both die but if you if i don't die you live on in my memory and since the lump is a a purely you know mental construct he can live on in forever that way but at the end we are given pages filling in new space which is batman finishing r.i.p coming out of mm -hmm. the water talking to alfred and going ultimately to this final crisis stage which is you know as we learn kind of quote unquote his death yeah his space death it was is there just real tricky to dodge the bullets of when what was going on in this story right so he, is he okay so from how this 
and correct me if if I have things confused, but how this happened potentially is Batman the last the last we see our hero is on top of a helicopter punching a hole through the windshield to attack <laughs> Doctor Hurt. Right. Then he falls into the water. Does he like clunk his head real good underwater? And then there's just these two new gods homies that jack him up and pull him into his weird like do they kidnap him from underwater and that's I think where he's that, been? I think that the final five pages of this issue, six eighty three that we're on right now, shows what happened. He it's got him in the Batcave with Alfred and Alfred is saying like, none of it is true, sir. We can prove that the, the fellow in the close-ups looks nothing like me. So he's talking about Dr. Hurt. Right. And the, and the, you know, bending the truth about his family. And ultimately Bruce is saying like, well, we're getting a call from a justice league. We've got to go. I've got to go take care of this. But when I get back, we're going to straighten all this stuff out. And that call from the justice league is dead Orion from final crisis. So right. He, so kind of confused Bruce and exhausted Bruce, I think more than anything, goes to the cave, gets the Justice League call, goes out to the Justice League call, um, starts solving the mystery with the bullet, but then that's when in Final Crisis, Granny Goodness, disguised as that lady Alpha Lantern, captures oh, him that's right. and then right. takes him to Bloodhaven, which is where these experiments are happening. Damn, and this is after Bloodhaven's been nuked, right? Because that happened in Infinite Crisis. As I read this, I went into the, the second omnibus that we have that Roman's excited to get. Just to look at the reading order for the next big arc that we're talking about here. And it does have issues 701 and 702, which are called RIP Missing Chapters. It has oh, yeah. those like two-thirds of the way through that omnibus. And it does answer some of these questions. Okay. But, you know, just a that seems to me like a flaw in editorial or publishing because it's so filled with answers. You know, as wonderful as these two issues are, I feel like why couldn't we have had a little bit more context surrounding the who, what, and why of Bruce moving from RIP to Final Crisis and then from Final Crisis to Batman and Robin, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just, to me, does not seem very plausible I mean, we're talking about like gods and lumps and shit, but it just doesn't seem very in line with Bruce's internal character to like show up after he took a swim in the lake and was like, okay, you know, city's still kind of on fire. We got man, bat ninjas killing girlfriends. You know, I don't know where my family is, but I'm going to go answer this. Just, I guess Bruce would be like, oh, you know, the universe is going to end if I don't. But it just seems weird to go like to show up at the bat cave after he had his, uh, time in the pool or time in the lake and just instantly go into another mission that must have had to be written in because of the editorial of like final crisis is out now you know we need to kill batman now yeah i do think that there is like a an amount of like the ground shifting beneath morrison's feet and i I think that you can feel that in this portion of the batman run but also like particularly final crisis like Mm -hmm. things slowing down or speeding up in terms of publication and you know, I think we talk about it in the, the, the podcast episode that will drop about Final Crisis, but I think that there was kind of the assumption on his part that people were going to be reading all of the tie-ins, which I think is a is sort of a, a fallacy assumption. But yeah, Ed, I, I do think before we go crack the mystery of this issue, the, the final couple pages of this are the lump as Alfred finishing this narration, I believe. But damn, 
one of the best like Batman tie up summative type statements ever. No, Would you beautiful. agree, Roman? Like this, I love the way that Alfred kind of narrates that bit when it starts on the second to last page of, you know, Alfred, he said not long ago, if anyone ever asked for an obituary, tell them Batman's big secret was the classic whodunit. Like from there on, I don't know. I don't know if that seems like lump memories or real memories, but it's a really kind of beautiful thesis statement about Batman. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's a, it is a great summation of Batman and ending for this storyline. And I think, uh, I think it is purely Alfred's thoughts. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Not lump thoughts, but Alfred thoughts. Yeah, because because right before that, we see the lump um, be destroyed. This had to have happened before he got to the lump. Right, but I think that this oh, is... Right. Yeah. Which I, I, I think that so, there isn't so, a right so, answer about these two issues. I think that it, these two issues more than any really kind of come down to people's interpretations of them. Yeah, right. though, though in that case, since, yeah, this chronologically does happen before the lump stuff. Well, yeah, to me then, well, yeah, it's definitely Alfred then because the lump wasn't, wasn't in, his, in Batman's head yet then. The confusing part for me is that while he's talking to the lump and about to shoot the lump, he says there are still memories left to process. And then it goes to these paid, like these sequences of the lump dying. So these memories would have happened. Like this conversation with Alfred about him going to investigate Orion would have happened. Mm -hmm. it's like they are memories that the lump could be mining. Maybe we're oh. splitting hairs there. But... Oh yeah, oh yeah, could be mining. Okay, yeah, but they're but they're Alfred's words. Right, and but Alfred, Alfred was the narration yeah. as the yeah. I I don't know. It's I just was wondering why the lump would have like a sense of reverence for Batman, but if he's mining that old memory, that makes sense. And I, yeah, I, 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 I think the lump gains a sense of reverence for Batman from being inserted in his head. And I love when Batman says like, well, now you know me as well as anyone does. So yeah, I agree. I feel yeah. like through that, Justin, that's a really good wording for it. Like I think through parsing through his memories, even the lump kind of grew a sense of reverence for Batman, which is why he ultimately rebels against Dr. Simeon and Makari. That's so cool. Just like Batman's such a like admirable spirit that even like the thing like the lump is like nah man i'm gonna change my ways batman taught me something good i went in there to destroy him and i came out on his side but i think that those like final pages they really do seem more like alfred or just sort of the lump becoming alfred but i i feel like that was morrison's attempt to try and give us readers some of the information to bridge the gap between r.i.p and final crisis and i think it just became evident that that wasn't enough which is why those R.I.P. lost chapters ultimately came out like a year later. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, I think it's kind of easy to get the feeling for what these two issues are trying to say. I think to track down the absolute sort of linear chronology of it is, is a lot more different. And that doesn't, isn't a big slight against it for me, but I could see some people being bummed out about that. For sure. I, because Final Crisis gets so kind of out there and extra dimensional and this run has moments of that i just kind of treated this as like it's both true and not true at the same time like it doesn't necessarily need to happen in order for it to be real like it was an epilogue kind of postscript thing mm. um that way it, it for me was just like oh this is just a good kind of retelling chopped and screwed version of batman's history yeah, yeah. when i try to place it in continuity sorry Roman, it just is so confusing no no that's okay yeah and it's it is interesting on the pages where it's kind of like a little, a little mini what if story, you know, what if, what if Robin never existed? And it's just, 
Batman's so sad without Robin. I mean, and Gordon's dead. Dick Grayson's dead. I mean, she's... He meets a Catwoman who is a prostitute and dupes him and burgles him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Isn't Catwoman a prostitute in Frank Miller's year one? Yeah. 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 You know, I'm always going to, you know, just talk loudly and confidently out of a sense of insecurity. Roman, what... After finishing these two issues, can you sort of just tell all of us what you felt about them or sort of what role you think that they played or how you interpreted them? I just interpreted them as, as, as kind of the completion of Batman's resurrection. I mean, he's been broken. I mean, throughout these storylines, he's been broken down and not literally killed, but seemingly killed. And then he resurrects himself through his own force of will and, and planning. And then these two issues, part of their function, I thought was... Uh, now that the man and the superhero has been resurrected, they kind of, kind of in a subtle way, Alfred tells the resurrection of the concept of Batman. His hmm. his the term sigil <laughs> popped in my head, Justin. <laughs> it's kind of the narrative sigil of Batman. It's beautiful. I like that a lot. So, our good friend and the fourth member of our podcast, uh, Cody Walker. Oh, Cody <laughs> had had proffered an idea. Uh, about these two issues, but particularly the second issue that is a little bit rooted in some stuff that Morrison says in his book, uh, Super Gods. And I'm going to try and parse my perception of what he's saying, which didn't occur to me, but I actually do quite like as sort of a, a Morrison thesis that these two issues and what he talks about. And in reading Super Gods, I remember when Morrison was talking about this, where he's sort of talking about how Batman is this perfect idea and like down to the bat and his force of will and it's this idea that is so perfect it will always exist and i've always like really bought into that like it is in the same way that superman is a perfect idea i think batman and superman are these you know almost totemic figures that sure. describe yeah humanity um and morrison also actively talks about how in the 80s and the 90s they sort of broke these characters down and put them in a really dark context and they became grim and gritty and at the beginning of this run he sort of attempts to purify that aspect of the, the storytelling from batman by going to the togo ritual and the uh the, the many-eyed finger people in the sand so when makari and simeon are trying to funnel the essence of batman into these other blank canvases essentially cody talks about how that's kind of morrison talking about different creators and storytellers trying to take the essence of batman and put them into different things and it never quite works as well because there's this sort of perfect alchemy that batman embodies and when we were trying to do all of these so then there's the line in this issue where makari says like yeah raw emotional energy more pain motivation they were thinking that the way to build these other Batman armies was to just take his damage and put it into them. But they even say things to the effect of like, how can one person handle this much stress? Like I, kind of one of the elements I get out of this is that Batman has gone through so much tragedy that it would break anybody else, but he's able to sort of bend it and turn it into this, this positive thing. This idea that Cody is trying to say that like Batman is a perfect alchemy and it isn't just trying to so it's morrison's statement of like let's elevate these characters above just the grim and gritty and 
he's making that metaphorical comparison between these blank slate bodies that like, no, Batman couldn't, we can't just make more characters. We can't just keep wallowing in the angst and the sadness of what Batman has gone through because in reality, like the joy and the levity of, of Batman's aspect is also really important to his character. I don't know if I was able to explain that in a way that makes sense, but I'm, I like that. I like that viewpoint of somebody trying to take a thesis statement that Morrison has stated and apply it to the events of this book. And I don't think that it fits perfectly, but I do think there's a little bit there to mine. What, what do y'all think yeah. about that? I like that a lot. Like I like, you know, I think the kind of zoomed out broad so view that we have of Batman these days. And I think Tom King even said something to this effect is like Batman is an engine that metabolizes tragedy and turns it into good things like turns it into hope and inspiration and will and like i could see that being derivative of kind of what is explored in these issues and in in this run in general is like yes we we all do focus on the grim darkness that kind of builds batman but it is his his kindness and his joy and his willingness like there is a good-hearted man in there and you couldn't do that if you were only a tragic character like thousands of people in arkham who have had terrible things happen to him it is that joy levity like you said that allows that engine to keep running you know and you see that like batman kind of baptizes the lump in that way he kind of like with his own internal goodness kind of makes lump a a, a better being you know and so i think that that you know maybe isn't a literal description of the territory but it is a good map that cody's getting at like it's a good way to describe what's going on it may not be the literal events that morrison was intending to do but it is an accurate map to describe these issues. Man, yeah. nice, yeah, nice wordings, dude. That was that was good, Justin. Oh. Yeah, it was. I felt like everything you guys have said has been really good on this episode too. Maybe, maybe like we all exercised our lump and we're able to speak a little bit better <laughs> on this episode. Oh, Ro, wow. what's your we, read on that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. We all just went through a through a. A bat lump lump Oh my god! No wonder I feel so light. Uh, what'd you ask me chef well you know i i just i i'm curious how you feel about walker's view of this storytelling like there is the the linear one-dimensional but, like yeah they're trying to put the memories in batman to create these armies but the the shells can't hold the essence yeah. of what batman is i i well i i agree i agree with uh with just because i can't say it better with justin's map yeah. map analogy <laughs> that's yeah, perfect right. yeah and i think that that's such a great way to like what Justin just said is such a great way to talk about Morrison's work in general, because I think a lot of times it does fail, not, not fail, but it, it falls short of being a strict A to B thing. When you're looking at it as a map and not yeah. like a generalized map and not a strict expression of what is happening with a degree of certainty, but it's just sort of a general compass toward a, a feeling. Um, I think that his work really shines about that. I think that's one of the reasons that the three of us, really love Morrison's writing in general with this run as well, because I think that we all really like kind of rolling the pendulous balls in our hand mm -hmm. and not having a defined answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's uh, something true in general with Morrison is it's, it's more about the maps and everything rather than the straight linear A to B. I mean, even his stories like the, like, like happy that are more kind of a standard structure and more A to B still have some like, crazy like oh yeah look at this big map on the edges of things here that's like infiltrating and i really like that about him i sometimes it you know 
it doesn't work. <laughs> but most of the time, I really like his map stuff. And you're re like if you're trained in a in an I or if you really prefer like if you're a very rational. I'm trying not to sound like insulting. Uh, like a dominantly rational, pragmatic person. Like I could see how this would totally be kind of like frustrating bullshit. And sometimes when Django is like very low on his fuel for Morrison patience, like when his, you know, he'll kind of say that it's, it's gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because you're trying to get, you know, you're bringing a super rationalistic, pragmatic, like stories are only X, Y, and Z thing. And Morrison, if you go to Morrison with that, you're going to get frustrated. You know, you have to, even at the end of this, and I'm talking about the moment where like Alfred is kind of ending the narration and it embodies a moment where the lump would have access to these memories. But the narration, I agree with both of you, like the narration does become strictly Alfred because he says the whereabouts of Batman remain unknown, which is to say removed from this moment. And in doing so, I think that Morrison is kind of breaking the rules with what he established. But I think that it is okay for the type of reader who is willing to just kind of go with the flow of meaning rather than pointing to the place and time that a thing exists. But I do want to just summarize the dialogue in the last page and a half here, which is the where it's, it's Alfred sort of shutting off the lights in the Batcave, and he says, the whereabouts of Batman remain unknown. And yet I can see him now in the grip of implacable forces, innumerable foes, somewhere without hope, and in a place where all seems lost, and I know this, the enemy will look away for just a moment, underestimating him for that single fraction of a second for too long. And no matter how dark the night, there will be no hiding place for evil. I got goosebumps. I got him right that. now. Yeah. Dude, like that is, it's so like, it's as good of a Batman moment as him breaking out of the coffin. It is, <laughs> for sure. it is pure Batman distilled into a, you know, a short monologue by Alfred and, oh, it's good. Yeah, it is so good. And, and man, I miss Alfred. <laughs> I love using his words um, to describe Batman that way because, you know, Morrison's already established it. You know, Alfred has kept these journals and written short stories, apparently, just I love it. stuff out on his own about Batman. <laughs> and I love that aspect of, of Alfred. Alfred is such a sweetheart. I did want to, I had something occur to me while you were speaking, Jeff, and if you guys yeah, don't mind, not offer an idea. Um, and this is by no means a definite thing. This is just my like, oh, what the fuck? Is Alfred narrating this alone in the Batcave because Batman has gone off to fight Darkseid? Like he's wandering around because we're under the assumption that Batman is dead because he went off to a, you know, because he's talking about where he, Batman is no there, no longer there fighting these crazy innumerable forces. Like maybe this is Alfred closing down the Batcave after Batman has quote unquote died. And this is taking place kind of in the, future and i think i think the final pages of this that is exactly accurate i think that, that just for the, occurred to me i think for the first issue and a half though it is lump alfred spinning a narrative and throughout that narrative we see him go from trying to manipulate batman into being like yeah there's not a batman and like having him have these memories of not having a batman as about three quarters of the way through about halfway through the second issue you know, Batman solves the mystery and he realizes what the lump has done um, because Alfred says, I, you know, I remember when I died and came back at the funeral and Bruce was like, no, we kept that a secret from you. When he solves the mystery, that's kind of when he recruits the lump. Yeah. And it stops being a deceptive Alfred 
But I think at that same time, Morrison kind of forgives the strict linear, like this is who this narrator has been. And he opts to, in the final half of this issue, kind of allow the narration to be Alfred post RIP, turn, you know, turning off the lights in the, in the bat cave. And I think that speaks to yesterday when you and I were both talking about how much it feels and, and parts like whatever happened to the Cape Crusader by Gaiman. Cause that, I think the end of that is like, you know, Alfred saying good night, dinosaur, good night, bat cave, like turning off mm. the bat cave in right. this transitionary period between, you know, Batman's. And I guess that that's just, yeah, us saying this again, two days in a row, this story is more, an offering of a delicious meal that is from a culture outside of your own. And you don't know exactly what it is or how it fits in. And it is for your interpretation. And it doesn't have the defined knowable quality of today. I went to the store and got a chicken Caesar salad from, you know, whole foods or whatever. Like it, it is this, it is a really beautiful offering, but it is, I think this more than anything is like, Hey, kind of climb inside the Grant Morrison fifth dimensional box box inside of his heart and tell a batman story and it i think it's the first time in this run i think that we've been able to say in each of these episodes in this issue this happens it starts here and it ends here and these two issues are the first within this run that don't have that definable knowable quality of where we start and where we end and exactly what happens right and i guess in in that guise like i don't really personally feel like i need that exactly you know yeah he does a good job of maybe just abandon all hope of having a rational narrative, abandon all hope ye who enters here, because we're still getting to the core of his character, which good buddy. And I think that I, I totally agree. And I think that this particular two issues to use an expression that might be diminutive, but separates the wheat from the chaff, if you will, like from here on out, like if you're a Morrison fan, you're going to dig this stuff. But if you are, and again, I love Marvel comics, but I think Marvel has a little bit more of a, like the mission statement when that company started was like, we're going to make sure all of these heroes are in these towns at this time. And if Superman or sorry, if Spider-Man is at the Baxter building in this issue, you'll see the fantastic four in the background fighting that villain. Like there's a very shared world uh, unification in Marvel comics. And, and this is, you know, kind of the antithesis of that. It is weighed through the ethereal waters with us. Right. I love it. I just, uh, I don't know this reading this, like I was before we hit the record button talking about like how much of a DC universe kick I've been on lately. Cause it's for my childhood. There's a huge nostalgic co- component, but this reading this run, is just like waking up all those kind of cherished memories I have for that property as you know, problematic as they can be. Now there's still so much good, good stuff in here. Oh, yeah. this, run, this run I think represents it the best. I want, I think more than any moment in Batman and quarantine so far, I would love to hear our listeners tell us what they got out of these two issues. Because For sure. I do think more than any moment in this run, it is, it is a meditation rather than it is following a story. So please write us an email or record an audio and attach it to an email and send it to Batman in quarantine at gmail.com Batman in I N quarantine at gmail.com because you know, I, I throughout this whole podcast, I think we've made it clear, like we're talking about it from the perspective of fans who are reading through it and wanting to love it because we do love it. But we're not ever saying that we know for sure what's going on. And I think these two issues, even just like Cody Walker's interpretation, isn't something that I came up with. And I liked hearing his thoughts. So anybody who's reading this along with us, 
send us an email. Like, what did you think these were about? What were these saying? Because I think that there's a lot open for interpretation here. And I, I think that that's a pretty beautiful aspect of, of fiction in general. Yeah, agreed. Well said, buddy. I, yeah, I, I can't really do anything else besides just like harmonize with that and, and re-put that back out. Cause I like that these issues kind of challenge you to think that there's only one interpretation, you know, it kind of shows you like, yeah. this is not about interpreting the right and wrong objective. What happened here. It's more about the ride, I guess. Sitting, sitting with friends and talking about what the hell you think it is that just happened in front of you. Batman returned to Lumpville. <laughs> We're in total bat sync. Yeah. Um, can I ask a real, a total, like, just crass marketing product question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this final page, was there ever a statue made of that? Because that, I mean, that is such a statue pose. So He's, he's even on a base. <laughs> I don't think that there has been, but that begs for a horrible thing. We ha- I have not, for these last <laughs> two episodes, talked about the fact that Lee Garbit is the artist on these two issues. And Lee Garbit most recently did an image book uh, with Joe Henderson called Skyward that I am on record as loving the art in. I love it. And, you know, he's 10 years more advanced now in Skyward, but the art in these two issues, I think, is totally serviceable. I don't don't think that there is a flaw or shortcoming within it. Um, It might not be as great as some of the stuff we've seen. It's not as great as the Tony or the... Frank Quietly stuff that's going to come, but uh, it, I like Lee Garbett's art a lot, and I have forgotten to mention that in both of these that he he draws faces and architecture like really really well. Again, he's less developed in these moments as he is in like Skyward or some of the more current stuff. But uh, I thank you for bringing that up, Roman. I I really like that artist. Thank thank you for mentioning that because I never would have realized, and I've really enjoyed Skyward too. And I especially like in these issues, well, in the first issue, the way he draws Silver Age, um, <clears throat> Batman and Robin. And actually, even before that, when it's just Batman on his own, like Golden Age Batman, I guess, the way he draws um, Batman's bat ears, they kind of, mm-hmm. they're fat at the bottom and they kind of curve out slightly. Yep. It's Love really it. cool. Yeah. How about this, <laughs> his ability to draw Batman smiling in a way that doesn't feel, you know, yeah like it's, a bastardization it's, or something yeah it's still there's that inset panel in the, the first of these issues of him and robin where robin's actually they're both throwing punches and robin's actually like ha and batman's behind him and he's got a and he's smiling but it's a tight it's the smile of like a tight like clint eastwood face yeah. would do tight butthole <laughs> it's, tight a butthole gr- it's a grim smile yeah it's a grim smile <laughs> he does a good job of just making the costume while in every era, it's just the Batman costume, the bluish black, you know, but the bat changes in the ear and the face, like it embodies actually what the costume looked like in the era. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Batman back in the day in the yeah. the 40s, his mask was different and it did kind of have that curvature back in. It's interesting how much that Batman has, that costume has come throughout this run. So like we've even talked about how this omnibus went upside down seems to draw Batman that way from the, the silhouette of it. Um, <laughs> and because ups right side up, it's, you know, bat. Um, but even to the pictures of like uh, Batmite is drawn with his ears curving out like that. And right. in Joe chill in hell in that issue, there's lots of flashbacks to Batman early on and his ears are curving out like that. And then the Thomas Wayne bat costume that Dr. Hurt wears has the ears like that 
or has some some flares that curve yeah. outwards like that. Um, it, it's interesting how much at that point between like three or four different artists, I imagine Morrison has had to include like make sure to draw the ears outward to harken back to the golden age mysterious Batman. And I I think that that it's great that you guys just pointed that out because pointed it's it's a weird through line throughout this whole book and I have to imagine it was intentional at this point. Oh yeah. Hey, Justin, I think that you and I both have Omnibus Volume 2 of this run. Yes. So today I got really excited. We finished this up. This is the last issue in Omnibus Volume 1. I I parsed through Omnibus Volume 2 a little bit to get an idea for this podcast. We've been adding things like, well, I'm going to add whatever happened to the Cape Crusader and Battle for the Cowl. But we've been trying to do the reading order as it's presented in these omnibuses because they are defined and set by Morrison and DC. And I was incredibly excited to learn that in Omnibus Volume 2, they do have it collected, Batman and Robin 1 through 8, mm-hmm. and then the two issues, I think, of the RIP Lost Chapters. And then it goes Batman and Robin 9, Return of Bruce Wayne 1, Batman and Robin 10, Return of oh. Bruce Wayne 2, Batman awesome. and Robin 3, which is how it was published. And I do think that that reading order is really important. So just bearing in mind to everyone, as we're going to be moving forward into the second third of this run, uh, we'll try and, and project outwards what the, the upcoming issues are going to be. But it is going to jump around a little bit to adhere to the strict actual chronological reading order of this run. And that might be a little bit confusing for people, but these Grant Morrison Batman omnibuses collect it in the definitive way with which we're going to be doing it. Although I know Justin and I also have Batman and Robin in Absolute Edition. And so for those first chunks of issues, we're going to be reading deluxe, oversized, Frank Quietly art, and I can't fucking wait. Damn, that is, it just, you know, that makes so much sense. I've never thought about reading the Batman and Robin issues interlaced with the return of Bruce Wayne, even though, you know, it's pretty obvious within the run that they're happening at the same time. And they, they, Batman and Robin certainly, like, kind of is contingent on the return of Bruce Wayne right. at certain points. I have never read them in that way and initially really disliked the miniseries, the return of Bruce Wayne. I did too. I, I haven't read it since. Yeah. So reading it intersparse, seeing them as sister books rather than just like two things that are happening at the same time in a vacuum might actually help make that a little bit better. I'm very curious to see how that reads. I, I was I remember being disappointed by Return of Bruce Wayne originally because I thought it was going to hold all the answers to the mysteries that this room had within it. And it had some, but in classic Morrison fashion, it just created also more questions. And I just, as a person who is eight, seven, eight years more advanced than the last time I read it, I cannot wait to to see exactly what, what was going on there. Right. Yeah, just as like a few people, you and I particularly, Jeff, Roman has had, you know, like innumerable amount of comics under his belt, but from when I read this the first time to now, I've read like a world's universes, more comics, you know, yeah. so it'll be maybe a little bit easier to understand visual language and stuff. Cause I was, I was a little guppy back in the day reading those. And if we don't kill ourselves doing this podcast, when this whole <laughs> thing is said and done, cause we are a third of the way through it now. When this whole thing is said and done, it would be awesome to like take a month break and all of us read super gods and then do a podcast about super gods. Cause I've, ooh, good idea. I've never read it. I, it's yeah, I haven't either. Phenomenal, but I remember being a subscriber at the comic shop. Chris Clow, who worked there at the time, and Roman um, knew how gaga I was for Morrison, 
And without me asking and without me knowing the release date, they had ordered a copy of Super Gods, the first printing of it. And when I came into the shop on that Wednesday, they were like, oh, hey, we ordered this for you and put it aside for you. And that is what a good comic shop does. So yeah, I can't, I I still have that copy of it and I can't wait to to hopefully talk about it with everybody. But Justin, I think it's time for us to, yeah, finally put the dust jackets back on these. I know, I know it's, it's sad and also exciting. But it's been a long time since I was in the throes of working at a comic shop, reading all the current stuff and able to read an entire I know several hundred pages long omnibus straight up. I don't think I've ever done that since probably since I've worked at the shop. Like I haven't read like a big ass, a big ass run since I've worked at the shop. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I looked through that book. We've got quietly art. We've got Frazier Irving art. We've got return of Bruce Wayne where every issue had a different artist with crazy answers. We got those two RIP missing chapter issues, 701, 702 that are like Tony Daniels, after he's ascended and become Tony Daniels, like giant muscles, glossy suits. Yeah, Bruce Wayne is so yoked in those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just am ecstatic to get there. I'm. I had so much fun with this first third, and I'm even more excited for the second third. You know, I've kind of said on record that the Batman and Robin portion is my favorite comic book run of all time, and my favorite part of this run. And it's like I can't. I don't know if that's going to hold up now. Like I can't imagine liking a part of this run more than the part that we just closed. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Roman, what are your memories on that era of Batman? Do you have many? Cause you were, again, you've, you've been reading all the stuff coming out every week for years. It's probably hard to I, distill and isolate those issues. It, it kind of is. I mean, I have the same kind of, kind of concern that Justin has that, wow. Cause I remember really loving ba- Batman and Robin and I certainly understood it more the first time through than i did with everything we just read and i am really because i really liked uh damien and and dick as a team oh man they were they were so good and of course the art was fantastic but i also really liked uh, return of bruce wayne because it was such a crazy story because they kind of done that before with captain america or maybe they did it again with captain america i don't know through time yeah It, it, it reminded me of this uh there was a treasury edition that came out when I was, a, I'm dating myself again, uh, when I was a kid in 1976, where, you know, the bicentennial of America, all the comic books were doing these bicentennial celebrations. There was a treasury edition Marvel put out that was Captain America's bicentennial battles. And and the, the hook was there was an, uh, a, uh, what do they call him? An elder of the universe this little buddha looking golden buddha looking floaty guy that's you roman that Mm -hmm, well he sent mm -hmm. captain he sent steve rogers traveling through time just to kind of i forget why to kind of like trace through america's history yeah to do that and yeah reaffirm captain america's like the meaning of america (laughs) symbolically the ideals of america and and so cap did that and it was this great big thick treasury edition i was like oh this is as a kid i was like this is so cool he's going back to like it's probably the first time I ever learned anything about. So spoilers, actual. there's an element of that that's coming in this big second arc, and we cannot <laughs> fucking wait to share it with you and also have an excuse Batman. to force us to read yeah. it. So Bicentennial <laughs> Batman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Roman, Justin, thanks a ton. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Roman. Thank, thank you. you, listeners, for making it out of Lumpville with this, us. Yeah, Lumpville is a non-linear expression of existence, so... <laughs> Coming out of the station, I think you'll finally be able to put your feet back on the ground. Do, do we have any um, <clears throat> any questions, any emails this time? 
Oh yeah, that's a fucking great fucking question. Thank you. Yeah. We have um, one more uh, email because it's coming from Andrew Carlson, who I absolutely adore. He did assure us that like, hey, I am reading through all of this, but I'm just shooting you emails for every time I have thoughts. So uh, feel free not to read all of them. Well, you no, know I what, Andrew? That. We love you. Um, hello from Andrew Carlson. I just had a brief thought this morning as Jeff and Roman were explaining Batmite for an episode that uh, Justin hadn't been on for. Could it be that the weird green six-legged bug demon thing on Batmite is a representation of the post-hypnotic triggers that Dr. Hurt placed in Bruce's head during the sensory deprivation tank experience? I don't know. Just a thought. Keep being awesome. So, yeah, I bet that he sent that email right after there is an episode where Roman and I actually basically have that discussion, which is, is the six-legged creepy bug thing an expression of Dr. Hurt's uh, entangling Batman's uh, subconscious. And I, I think that Andrew, I think I found that idea out on like a blog post is where I, I first had that. So good on you for generating that idea yourself. You're uh, an incredible student of poetry and philosophy and English. And uh, I'm not surprised at all that that was the thing that you put together. No, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. The only way, I guess I didn't come to that conclusion. I just can resonate with it because I have one of those of Django in my head. <laughs> Post-hypnotic suggestions. Well, on that Django dig, let's get on out of here. Um, listen, on behalf of Roman Statler and Justin Cassatt, I am Jeff Figley, and we are Batman in Quarantine, and I'm so grateful that you're all listening, and we are excited to see you next week. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.